0: So have you found the, the Gospel of Matthew? Yes. So Matthew, we're in Matthew chapter 5. Matthew 5 is where we are. Now we remember that the, the Gospel of Matthew is one of our earlier uh, Gospels written for us. And the early church used this text, used the Gospel of Matthew to, as, a, as a catechism to teach people things. And we know that Matthew himself, whether, whether he heard Jesus beforehand what, there came a point when Matthew himself was at his tax-collecting booth and he heard those words. Everybody say them, follow me. And when, and, and when he heard them, he did them. And here's the thing, That's a, that is a command. It doesn't say, follow me, comma, please, or after me, if you will. It is, it, is, it is a command. So follow me is the, is the call of Christ to become his disciple, and it's something that he says to each one of us, follow me. And, and we have to say this with a smile, here's the deal. We either, we either obey that or we rebel. There's only two options, to follow or not. But this book is written to invite us to become disciples of Jesus and to show the reader how. How, what does it mean to follow Jesus? Fortunately, the first thing we see in the book of Matthew is this, is that, that Jesus is the one who has come, as we're celebrating today again, Jesus is the one who has come that, to baptize us in the Spirit. He has come to bring his disciples, all of us first, into vital contact with his Spirit. And, be, and through repentance and then vital contact with the Spirit, we are then enabled to follow Jesus. We are enabled and called to live. For him, and live like him. Yeah, him. We live for Jesus, and we live like Jesus, and that's what it means to be a disciple of him. Now, now, where we are now is in that we've we've followed Jesus, and we're into the Sermon on the Mount, and. Uh, We've, we've come through a couple of portions, but Matthew 5 is, and 6 and 7, this, even this is broken down into different sections. Matthew breaks this, this, this section of teaching into smaller portions. And the portion that we have arrived at now began at verse 17 when Jesus says something bold. He says, do not think that I've come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. I've come to fulfill it. And then he says, not one of it's going to go away. It's all going to be fulfilled. Then he says in verse 20, hey, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the the scribes and the pharisees you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven and we spent some time on that because at first that sounds like what i've got to be a pharisee no it means that jesus has come to reveal and to lead us into real righteousness and then he gives six they call them antitheses but there 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 are six examples this is really important for today everybody say examples These are six examples of how he has come to really reveal the the ultimate intent of the law and to show us real righteousness. And so he picks six examples from the law, from from the Torah, to say this is what you've heard, but this is what it means. It's important because he is not laying down new legislation for us. He is explaining what real righteousness is. It's important. Because righteousness is the goal and the expectation of every follower of Christ. But righteousness is not a burden. It is a blessing. Righteousness is not the hard life. It is the the good life. Somebody should say, thank you, Jesus. And it's not complicated. Righteousness actually acts a lot like love. We've seen that. We'll see it again today. But love is not love. No, love isn't love. I don't care what shirt they wear. Love is not love. Love is not love without righteousness. God decides what love is. All right, now here we are. We're going to look at uh, verses 31 and 32 today, and as I read them, I want to just say this. Before I even read them, let me lay some things down for us. This passage has been clumsily interpreted and applied over the years. I'm not saying I'm the only one who's going to get it right. I'm just saying it has been often clumsily interpreted and applied. And and because of that, it has really had two very problematic results. Number one, it has been legalized and even weaponized to shame people or to trap them. It also, because of that, then, because it has been presented so such like such a hammer and such a brand that there's been almost a calloused obfuscation of the text. So it's been it's been totally ignored and its points overlooked and rejected. Neither of those are righteousness. The goal here is righteousness. We we would do well to remember that these commandments by Jesus occur in a section where he is calling us to a real righteousness. He's giving us categorical examples. He is showing us specific areas in the human heart that need transformation under righteousness. We've seen that. I'll just make sure that we understand where we're going. So, We've, what, what have we seen so far? Jesus starts off by, by first of all acknowledging, remember, that, that righteousness is more than don't murder. Yeah. He said, you've heard, of it, heard it said don't murder, but that's not the end of righteousness. Well, I'm good. I haven't killed you. No. He said, right, murder, don't murder means don't harbor anger, don't harbor resentment, don't speak hostile words. Don't murder actually means reconcile reconcile with others and if if you've hurt someone else you better make that right that's righteousness then it says and you've heard it said don't commit adultery and we and we heard that jesus explained that don't commit adultery basically while the law seemed to only lay claim to our actions jesus lays claim to our imaginations jesus says no what that means is you must even your imagination is my domain you must not harbor sin or lust even in your imaginations so these extreme examples are meant to include things leading up to them. They are comprehensive areas of the human heart that need righteousness. So now, understanding that, that context, and we must keep this in context. Context, uh, Text without context is pretext. It's nonsense. So here we go. Verse 31 and 32, let's read it. This is from the New American Standard. You've heard, Here's Jesus. It was said, whoever sends his wife away, let him give her a certificate of divorce almost like an achievement <laughs> a certificate of divorce but I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife except for the reason of, of unchastity makes her commit adultery how does he make her commit adultery this isn't in our notes how does he make her do that well because in that day apart from apart from a provider caretaker she she would be lost she would either be, have to sell herself into some sort of slavery, gross, or she, she would have to remarry. Makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. All right. Whoa. What's, the, what's going on here? Let's listen to that. First of all, the context. Someone say the context. The context here is, is, is this big idea of divorce. Uh whoever, whoever uh, sends his wife away, you've heard him say, "Let him give her a certificate." Jesus is referring to a principle found in Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse one, and then in verse three. Now and in that text, in Deuteronomy, here's what Moses said to the people of Israel. He said that, if, basically this, if a man and I, this is, thank you, but this, I know it's, it's tough for me to say it. It's tough, painful for you to hear it because you're getting all woke and mad, but just, it's not me. Okay. So this is, here's the deal. It's a very patriarchal society. But if a man found something impure, unrighteous in his bride, he married a wife and found out there was something unrighteous. It says this, let him write, basically give her a receipt. Yeah, I'm looking for some, a safe place to stand, and I'm not finding one anywhere. Uh, uh, I really am. Uh, what's that? Laura, Lee's guy. Laura Lee, is, she's very safe. Yeah, yeah, she's not going to hurt me. Uh, but get, basically, give her a receipt, and the receipt said, you are now free. She had a receipt. You are now free to go and marry someone else. Was, and, and, and the original idea, the original idea was not to be, to be reckless or shameful or, or anything else. Jesus will say later in, in, uh, in chapter 19 of Matthew, when we get there eventually, he will say, hey, look, Moses did that because your hearts were hard and you guys were basically nuts. But, here, but it, they were. Because up until that time, up until that time that we read in Deuteronomy, if, <laughs> if, I, I'm sure I say, uh, if, if, I'm going to blame you this time, if Aaron just for whatever reason got annoyed with Meg in the heat of the moment could just say, I divorce you, I divorce you. And that's it. She's divorced. She's gone. Out of it. And then when he calmed down, after I called him, after I drove over to the house, bro, right? He'd say, Oh, I changed my mind. Come back. So now the woman is a yo yo. And in the meantime, if she's married to somebody else, now we have a real problem. And the Lord actually says, This was done, this receipt was done to do do two things. Number one, to prevent or to slow down that haphazard, angry response of husbands. They would have to write this thing out. They would have to bring the gal. There would have to be two witnesses that this was a done deal. And then once she had that receipt, baby, she was free. So when he said, hey, come on back, she said, I got the receipt. I'm not coming. So it was an act of protection at the time. And it was was supposed to slow down that separation and then to protect the one cast away. Does that make sense? So that was the intent, even though even then that wasn't best, but Jesus said, oh, your hearts were so hard, Moses was trying to find a way to put some duct tape and chicken wire on the thing until I got here. But here's the problem. The problem with that situation was that now, over the years, that was interpreted different ways. And before the time of Jesus, there arose really two schools of thought, two main rabbinic schools of thought. And they're still out there today, the different schools there. You can read about them. And they'll, they'll, quote, they'll quote one feller and quote the other feller. And uh, one of them is more strict, more, more conservative, more, more even harsh. And the other has more of an open concept feel i like the open concept the other one has more of an an open feel kind of a liberal sometimes leans toward more toward being kind also more toward hey let's just expand the let's just expand the definition of that expectation a bit and that's the school of hillel well this particular guy he said before the time of jesus way before he said you know how we should interpret (laughs) you know how we should interpret deuteronomy 24 1 and that is this, if a man finds, I got this, I just, am, I'm so glad you don't have any rocks. Uh, <laughs> he said, if a man finds something objectionable with his wife, he should write a receipt and send her away. And what he did was open the door for anything. Basically, if there was any reason why a man found something objectionable about his wife, he, could, he was free to send her away and she had to marry somebody else. Now, I know some of you gals are probably thinking, where do I sign up to do that on the reverse? (laughs) And because you can, and human nature being what it is, follow along. If you have the choice between a a harder way or an easier way, water finds the right, the path of least resistance. The path of least resistance that the teaching and even the, the Pharisees at the time, this is what they taught. And so now you have Jesus has entered into this circumstance where women, if for any objectable reason, are being cast off and another one coming in. And if you think it sounds bad, let me give you some of the reasons that were taught for them to be tossed away. If they were disobedient. See, Bonnie's already telling Chuck, tough luck. I saw it, Bonnie. She's like, tough luck, bro. Yeah. If they were disobedient. If they burned the bread. Yeah, some of you already, well, that's it for me. Call me an Uber. If they burned the bread. If they spoiled dinner with too much salt. If she went out with her head uncovered. If she talked to another man in the street. I don't understand this one, but here it is. If she was a brawler. I don't know if that's UFC. I don't. Here's a, here's, a, here's, a, here's a nice one. If she spoke ill of her in-laws. Not the other way around. Just one way. Or if she were troublesome or quarrelsome. One rabbi. As the time drew near, about toward the first century, one rabbi asserted that divorce was appropriate based upon Deuteronomy 24. Remember, you can proof text anything. Divorce was appropriate if the husband found a woman he considered to be more attractive than his wife. Here's your receipt. Don't boo me, I didn't do this. What we're trying to say is that this is... This, say, what is Jesus talking about? Why would he say such a thing? For us to weaponize a statement and slam people over the head? No. He is correcting a major problem. Yeah. And, the, and the problem that Jesus is correcting is this. Is that marriage had now, been, now has become a convenience and not a covenant. Yeah. And that the marriage relationship was based on performance and not kindness or love. It was governed by performance. So now, marriage, the only only good you were in this sacred relationship was how well you performed. And if you didn't measure up, you're out. This is what had been done to the marriage covenant. So Jesus says... Wait a minute. And he, and he utters this radical alteration, this correction. And what, how does he correct it? He corrects it by emphasizing covenant. Someone would say covenant. covenant. Jesus demands that his disciples understand that marriage is a covenant and not a convenience. And thereby he summarily dismisses all of the other performance requirements. There is no burnt toast clause in the gospel now keep that in mind because this is important first of all yes specifically most literally what is jesus doing yes he is honoring marriage and family as god's idea and god's design and we would do well to see it like jesus but again, this isn't necessarily necessarily. It's not a separate teaching on marriage. What's he talking about? Righteousness. So, how, what is this? We got to lean closer here. What's going on here? Well, he he allows it's 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 what. Listen to the words of verse thirty two again. He says, "But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except everyone who divorces his wife, except for the reason of unchastity, makes her commit adultery." In the text. He's saying, now this is, listen carefully, in the text, the grammar is only really allowing for even the possibility that it would be the wife who would be unchast. Now, in that culture, the, 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 the New American Standard says unchastity. I appreciate New American Standard's good manners there. The word in the Greek is pornea. We've heard that before. Okay, that's, that's sexual immorality. And in that context, it meant unlawful sexual relationship outside of marriage. In our day, I there's a lot, the, the menu's much wider, unfortunately. There's there's pornia, the idea of sexual immorality, there's a wide range where people can indulge in that. In other words, Jesus was saying the only way that the marriage covenant was actually broken was to break the covenant through immorality. And in this way, he shows. That the human marriage, as a covenant, is a reflection of our covenant with God. This is, the, this is the bigger idea here. Again, going back to the language. The language suggests that the only person who could possibly be unfaithful in the, in the, in the, in the scenario is the wife. That is not an accident because marriage between a man and a woman is supposed to be a reflection, a mystery, a picture of our relationship with God in Christ. And there is no fathomable way that God will be unfaithful to you. Not possible. But the text says the only way to break that is for, the, is for the, the wife or the bride to step away in unfaithfulness. Now, there's, so there's a spiritual, a definite spiritual picture here. Now, he, but he, but he is giving this, this, this clause, as it were. But he's calling our attention to the fact that our salvation in Christ is not a matter of convenience, but of covenant. Your relationship with God, your salvation in Christ, is not governed by your performance. Your salvation, your salvation is not governed by your performance. It is governed by loyal kindness. God's loyal kindness toward you. You say, why loyal kindness? The the, the Old Testament word for love, the word that we talk about God's covenant love for us, we're talking about covenant. So that Old Testament word for God's covenant love is the word Hesed, H E S S E D. If you want to pronounce it really well, say Chesed. Go ahead, you want to anyway. It's a word that you find in Old Testament passages like this Give thanks to the Lord for he is good and his. his, So you said it. Someone said his love endures forever. Someone said his mercy endures forever. And if you look up it in different versions, there are several different words that the authors will use to say, what that is love mercy why is it why, are, why couldn't they just find a word that translated the answer is no they can't because there aren't enough english words to throw at the word chesed to define it it's too big god's chesed is his covenant loyal kindness to us and the scripture says it endures not not convenience it's not performance it endures god's covenant loyal kindness to you endures forever it endures forever and this is the backdrop that jesus says and this the loyal the loyal kindness of god is the culture and the climate that must define first of all the marriage covenant it cannot be a convenience or performance it has to be an expression of the nature of God. And that's why we must understand that this, this 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 correction and this clause that Jesus gives was never intended to be weaponized. If you remember, as we've already read, remember when Jesus warned us about, about murder? And then he said, and it's not just murder, it's anger in your heart, and not just anger in your heart, but the words that you say. And then he acts. what was the final warning? What was the, the big threat? And it was Jesus talking. Hell. Yeah. The first time Jesus brings up hell is how we talk to each other. The first threat of hell is the words that we're using toward each other. Hell. Don't, the warning is hell. Don't do that or hell. What's the next time he uses? He talks about hell? He talks about the, the, that we can that we can cling to little private secret sins as tightly as we want to, but we will carry them with us to hell. Twice now, in both of these examples, the final warning is hell. But he gets to he gets to divorce. Doesn't mention it, and yet this is the one where people have carried the biggest stones and branded people the harshest. It's a little bit preachy, a little bit sermony for me to say it this way, but I just wondered if Jesus didn't mention hell because anybody who has walked through divorce has already had enough of it. This is not meant to be a weapon or a hammer. It's meant to call us to righteousness. Nor is this correction meant to trap people into horrible marriages simply because it could not be proven that a spouse committed adultery, regardless of how much immorality or abuse or abandonment there was on the part of the other spouse. This except for unchastity clause is not meant to exclude mercy. Would you all just say mercy? This clause, this whole passage, is meant to protect and promote loyal kindness in a covenant. Here's the deal. This whole thing is about righteousness. So what's the implication for righteousness? Well, remembering that righteousness is more than don't murder. And righteousness is more than don't commit adultery. Righteousness, in this case, obviously is righteousness is more than don't get divorced. No one gets married making one single vow. I promise I won't leave. I vow that you are stuck with me. That, that, no one gets married saying, I hope this doesn't work out. Well, at least I hope that they don't get married that way. When we get married, when, 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 man, when we enter into a marriage covenant, we vow our affection, our lives, our loyalty, and our kindness to each other. We vow our love. Therefore, any broken vow is first a forsaking of love. So, right away, we understand don't divorce, just like don't murder, no don't commit adultery. Don't divorce actually means love well. Love well. Someone say, love well. Many people, ah, this is the thing about it. When you, when you focus on the, the, the one extreme and you, and you don't understand what Jesus is saying, many people who would never think about, would never consider divorce, cool, because that's real bad, that, uh, they would never consider divorce, but they have no problem being unloving toward their spouse. You've missed the point. You've missed it. You've already broken the vow haven't been divorced, but I've been, a, I've been a real jerk for 25 years. Congratulations. Happy anniversary. Marriage must be characterized by loyal kindness. That is righteousness. That is righteousness. Marriage must be characterized. It must be the place. If marriage is the highest human covenant, that it must be the place that most highly expresses, demonstrates loyal kindness. Not performance, not convenience. Loyal kindness. Do we feel that? But now let's press it further. Press it further, just as we have. If it's true in this most extreme case, it must be true leading up to it. That means that if loyal kindness is to govern the best of our relationships and the highest of our covenants, it must also apply to lesser covenants. All of our relationships as disciples must be lived like covenants. People, your relationship to someone must not be governed by their performance. We have an opportunity as people in Christ to have covenant relationships, covenant friendships. Not to be uh, too irregular this morning, but our friends John and Nita Weldon are here today. And they, uh, a few years ago... Uh, Moved away after having been very integral to this house. And many in leadership now that work for me have no idea who they are, and that's sad. But you just need to know, if I don't talk about them, it's because it hurts just a little bit that they're not here. But (coughs) it it doesn't matter that they've moved because we're in covenant. And that's how our relationships are supposed to work. None of our relationships should be based on convenience. Even if they're not a believer. If you're a believer, you need to take up the character and the nature of God. If you're the believer, then you walk in loyal kindness. Many, many people who would never even consider divorcing a spouse are quick to divorce anyone or anything that fails to perform to their expectations. Whether it's their friends or their family or their kids or sons-in-law or employees or colleagues or pastors. You don't meet my expect You burnt the toast. You're out. But that isn't love, that isn't loyal kindness, and it isn't righteousness. Do you feel this, how powerful Jesus' words are, how we must not limit them to one clause? Again, we'll probably quote it until we get through this passage, but Here Paul comes back and restates this in Romans chapter 13, verses 9 and 10, when he says, the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this one decree. Love your neighbor as yourself. Why? Because Paul says love does no wrong to its neighbor. If it does no wrong to its neighbor, it certainly does no wrong to its spouse. Therefore, Paul says, love is the fulfillment of the law. And that is real righteousness. And that is what it means to follow Jesus. Would you bow your heads, please, as we pray? I want to just pray over you a little bit this morning. If, uh, if you're here this morning, you need to hear the words of Jesus say, follow me. If you're not a follower of Jesus, you'll know it. Jesus won't say please, but it's a command for you to obey or not. Here this morning, and you, and you need to say yes to Jesus. We want to pray with you. We want you to just say yes to Him. Yes, Lord, save me. Here's what you say: Lord, save me from my sin. Bring me into vital contact with Your Spirit, so I can follow You. I I receive You as my Lord. I receive You as my Savior today. There, they aren't magic words. That's just the expression of faith. Faith speaks that's what faith says to God. Lord, I need Jesus to save me from my sin. Take me and make me his disciple. Two more things I'd like to just talk to you about as we close our prayer today. One, um, I would say this. I think that it would be healthy for you to take some inventory of your relationships and see whether or not they are governed by other people's performance or by your loyal kindness. Are the relationships in your life, I don't, it, I know, yes, disciples, yes, Jesus said. But the way you love one another will prove to all men that you're my disciples. So there's a serious expectation about us, one to another. But you don't get out of it just because someone else isn't a Christian. You get to be the one who bears and carries the loyal kindness of God. Take a look. Take some inventory. Are, they, are my relationships with others governed by their performance or by my loyal kindness? God's loyal kindness. then I would just say this, maybe take a moment and just be, give thanks for uh, people in your life. And then one more thing this morning, please be patient with this one. We are praying before church and, and I want to pray for those in the room today. Your soul bears the trauma of divorce have walked through the pain of divorce yourself, you've been maybe a victim, a participant in some way, we're not throwing stones or branding with the letter, you know, the scarlet D here. We're just saying, I believe the Holy Spirit wants you to know that if there is trauma in your heart because of that train wreck, that there is healing for your heart today. And there is hope that you can you that there that whatever cloud of shame even that has been hovering over your life needs to be wiped away. There's mercy for you. If you are a child of even an adult child of divorce and still somewhere you would just say I was was wrecked, I was painful you might even still be blaming yourself my God, let the mercy of God wash over you today know this, that it's not about your performance it's about his loving kindness, his loyal kindness toward you would you let the loyal kindness of, of your heavenly father embrace you today and bring healing their heads bowed across this house, I want to just make a faith response, please. With your heads bowed across this house, is there anybody here who say, yeah, Dav, I still feel the trauma. One way or another, I still feel the trauma of divorce in my life or in my history. Would you raise your hand? I still feel that. Just ahead and lift it up. Just just keep it up for a minute, will you? If the, If I could reach my hand into your soul and pull that thing out, I would. I want you to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit speaking tenderly over you. That there is nothing but mercy from your heavenly Father. That the the shadow of shame is dismissed by the light of His love. And I pray for you today, this morning, I pray for healing. I pray that your sense of self worth would be restored according to God's loyal kindness and not your performance. That you would that you would understand that He is the one who is wholly and completely committed to you. He's going nowhere. So, Lord, I pray for healing today. I pray for the rain of Your mercy to fall on hearts and lives. Lord, if I can pray for my for my, the people that I serve this house I pray that none of them would walk under the burden of pain or, or trauma of that that train wreck. I pray for healing for them today. I pray that today's a new day and I pray very deeply, very fervently, very ardently that all of us would set aside oh, the burdensome, Lord. The more, look. The more, the more you expect people to live up to your expectations and, and and perform according to your preferences, the more miserable you are going to be. I pray that you get free from that misery and learn to live in the joy, the joy of loving.